My friend is dying. As I write this, or maybe even by the time I read this to you now, she will already be gone. She will have left us and sailed away. She will have, as David White writes in his poem Finisterre, about walking the Camino towards the sea, she will have sorted this from that. She will have emptied her bags. She will have promised what she needed to promise all along, and she will have abandoned the shoes that brought her here, right at the water's edge. Not because she's given up, not because she has given up, but because now she will find a different way to tread. And because through it all, part of her will still walk on, no matter how, over the waves. I had the honour of gathering with her and her children all grown last week to share in the Eucharist one last time, to lift the cup, to break the bread, to rock her safe in the boat of the tradition which has held her as a preacher's daughter all the days of her life. And I thought of her as I looked at today's reading. Lo, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. I thought of her and of her command to her children after I had anointed her with olive oil from the kitchen, anointed her with the sign of the cross, which she has stood under the sway of all her days. Her command. The children, too. Words barely audible, we lean in. The children, too. To anoint. And so they did. They anointed her as once they were anointed, like all babies are, oiled and swaddled and bundled and kissed. I thought of her and of this Jesus, this Jesus again like last week, this Jesus from the Gospel of John who seems so sure that he is coming back, so strong and comforting, the hero archetype. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid because look, look, he says, I will not leave you orphaned and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever and this is a spirit of truth and it is yours do you think they believed him, those disciples? Or did they cling to him? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. The grown children of my friend did not, of course, cling. They did not try to stop her from leaving. For her life had been long and strong and not cut short. But Jesus... Well, he was in his prime, wasn't he? And yet here he is preparing for his fate. Of course, the Jesus in John's Gospel, we can imagine, did not feel fear in the same way that the Jesus from Mark's Gospel did because John's Jesus is so full of God that he almost is God, very God, from very God, begotten, not made. And as such, he is so filled with the truth about the shedding of this mortal coil that he can say, let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Are you frightened? I asked my friend. No, she said. Just sad. Just sad and so tired. And there are so many thoughts that I need to think and memories to remember, but no, I'm not scared. 
The Spirit, the Holy Spirit that Jesus tells us that he is sending us out, is described as the presence of God. The same presence that the disciples experienced in the living Jesus, but which is now to be experienced in our hearts and in our communities. The word paraclete has many translations, including advocate and counsellor and companion, and, and these are all lovely things which I imagine we all want to receive. The challenge, though, of this text lies in the words, they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Because essentially this is saying that if we do not love Jesus, and if we do not keep Jesus' commandments, then we cannot truly receive this spirit. And this, this rub, this rock, this line is the one upon which wars have been waged and nations divided and Bibles burned. This text, as Nancy Rockwell points out, is the one that was used to justify Thomas Cramner, the author of the Book of Common Prayer, being burned at the stake. And afterwards, his head was separated from the rest of his body and buried somewhere else. And this text saw the early Puritans tarred and feathered, a slow death by torture, as we cannot, in fact, breathe without the pores of our skin as well as our lungs. And this text saw inquisitions raised and infidels slaughtered and indigenous people converted with whip and fire so that we may all be one. We had to bring people to Jesus, don't you understand? We thought, we thought this was the way they would have the Holy Spirit. This is the way they would have the presence of God with them. Always, lo, I will not leave you orphaned. But what is not written in this text are the words only. As in, only if you love me will I send you the Spirit. Jesus in this text doesn't say this. But this is the way it has been interpreted and thus countless orphans have been made at the hands of Christians seeking to save the other and to make everyone the same. And the other irony, of course, is that actually we already are the same, aren't we? We are all born in water and blood. We are all utterly vulnerable at the moment of surging forth. We all get lonely and we all need help and food, and water, and hope, and someone looking directly into our eyes and saying, it's okay. It's all going to be okay. And we all die. But in our dying, we do not need to leave our loved ones or the world orphaned. We can leave them like my friend is leaving me and Jesus left the disciples encouraged full of courage, inspired, full of spirit, and awake, awake to continue the work of God in the world.